if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Exodus. And this will be the last time you hear me say that probably for a long time. Today, uh, we are concluding our series through Exodus. We've been in Exodus for about 14 weeks, I believe. So uh, the alternate title to my sermon this morning is Exiting Exodus, all right? Uh, yeah, I thought that would get more of a laugh, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're excited. I'm excited because, you know, Exodus is just such a, an amazing uh, book of the Bible. So many epic stories. I hope you've enjoyed that as we've walked through uh, this book together over this uh, fall sermon series. But, you know, it's, it's just an amazing opportunity for us to wrap it up today, especially the week before Christmas, um, because I really think that it's just, a, it's just such a neat way to tie it into Christmas that you'll, you'll see today. Um, well, also, I want to say this. You'll see on the screens, uh, our classes for Current Equip resume on January 11th. Uh, and I'm happy to announce that we uh, are going to be studying the topic of apologetics in the co-ed class that I teach on, uh, I do that on Wednesday mornings with the senior adult class, and then Wednesday nights, the 6.30 catch-all group, big group in the music suite. And so we're going to be talking about the existence of God, uh, how Christianity and science relate to one another, uh, miracles, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. So these topics are uh, all have to do with defending the faith. Uh, Apologetics is the name of the, the topic. And so we're going to be covering those. It's going to be really good. I'm going to give you more details about that as we go. Uh, And then our ladies' Bible study will be covering the second half of their study in the Minor Prophets. And so this is a really unique opportunity. If you are not familiar with uh, a lot of those smaller books in the Old Testament known as the Minor Prophets, this is a golden opportunity for you to learn about the uniqueness of those books, but also just the, the richness of, and depth of theology and wisdom that comes from studying those. And it's a golden opportunity as well for you uh, to spend time with other women in the church and just get to know them and fellowship. So that's, a, that's an awesome opportunity and study we have as well. So those equipped classes will be starting uh, back on January 11th. We'll have signups for you uh, next week. All right, well, Exodus is where we're going to be, chapter 33. We're going to go all the way to the end of uh, the book today. So let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, again, we love you and we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. God, would you give us grace as we hear your word. Holy Spirit, speak it into our hearts and transform who we are. Change our character, change our thoughts, our feelings, our faith. Lord, let us see the goodness of your presence in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started this first part of this two-part sermon, really, our major point, you could say, of the ending of Exodus. And so when you finally get to the end of all these dramatic stories that we've seen throughout the book of Exodus, they're really the major point, right? The biggest point at the very end that kind of summarizes the whole thing is this. We can persevere in faith because of God's faithfulness. We can persevere. We can keep going. We can have hope in this life, not because of how much power or energy we can muster up, but because of the faithfulness of God himself. And so last week, we saw the first kind of supporting truth of this. We know that God will not give up on us. 
That's the first supporting point that we saw. Moses pleaded with God on behalf of the people of Israel for God's direct presence to go with them on their journey to the promised land, right? He pleaded with God for his presence, for God's forgiveness, and for God to give his people an inheritance. And we saw last week how Jesus gives us those things, right? He is the fulfillment of those things. He is the greater Moses. He pleads our case because Jesus is our case. Because of Jesus, we know that God will not give up on us. There is no condemnation for us. He is with us and He will finish the good work He has begun in your life. So, we saw in the story last week, God listened to Moses and agreed to go with them, but also God agreed to do amazing things among them and through them. And that brings us to the second half of this final major truth of Exodus. The second supporting truth I want us to see today is this. We know He lives in us. We know He lives through us. So we can persevere in faith in this life. You can. But not because of anything you can do. It's because of God's faithfulness to you because you know He's not going to give up on you and you know that He lives in you and through you. Let's look at the story today, picking up in Exodus 33, verse 16, to really see how this is true. Exodus 33, verse 16 Moses is speaking to God, and we read this last week, but I wanted to come back to this verse because it's so pivotal to understanding this. For how shall it be known, Moses says to God, that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses is pleading with God, And he's saying, Lord, please, don't you understand? It's your presence in us that makes us different from the rest of the world. It's God's presence in and among his people. So if God is going to live in their midst, then that's going to change the way they live as well. Look at chapter 34. We're going to skip around a little bit so you can follow along on the screens. Exodus 34, verse 11 God says, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So so what is God talking about? He's talking about the promised land. So God promised to give Abraham land because he's making a nation out of Abraham's family, known as the Israelites, who will be the beacon to the rest of the world, the light to the rest of the world, to show that God is real, that He is true. He's the one true God, and He changes people's lives forever. That is their commission. That is their goal and purpose as a nation, but they need a space to do that, right? And God is saying, I'm going to provide that space. However, when you get there, You're going to see pagan idolatry all over the place. You are going to see altars built to false gods everywhere. Keep in mind, we saw just a couple of weeks ago, God's very own people build a golden calf, right? An idol that they decided to worship instead of God. So these people themselves have fallen. They have failed greatly, yet God's faithfulness is clear. He says, take care. 
lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You see, God lives with His people, so that means there's no room for idolatry in their lives. Do you understand that? That's what He's saying to them here. This isn't just random. God is saying, you're going to possess this land, but you can't live in the middle of a bunch of golden calves. You can't live with all this pagan idolatry around you, tempting yourself constantly to give yourself to it. So God says, tear down the altars, break the pillars, cut down the asherim. Asherim, what is that? It's actually, these were wooden poles devoted to the goddess Asherah. So the goddess Asherah was worshipped in the land that these people are going, and they're saying, God's saying, cut them down. Take her stuff down. You are only going to worship me. So in other words, one clear sign that God lives in and through His people is that He is the exclusive object of their worship and devotion. They cannot give their hearts to something else. They can't give their hearts to God and something else. The Israelites must cut out everything that would distract them or steal their devotion from God. Look down at verse 29 and 30. Chapter 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. In other words, his face is glowing. Because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. I mean, Moses... If he didn't know what was going on, he'd be like, what? what's going on? What, does anybody have a mirror? Like, why, why are people scared of me, right? So the Lord renews this covenant with Moses and the people. But look at Moses' face. It's shining because he has been talking with the one true creator of the universe in his holy presence. It's obvious he's been with God. You see, God is being gracious to his people here. He's being gracious to Moses. He's still going to come down the mountain and live among them. He's still going to work in and through his people and use them. And Moses' face is kind of a foreshadowing of that. They will be the ones to shine the light of God. So now it's, t- it's finally time to build the tabernacle that God gave these instructions for to Moses on the mountain, the place where God will reside, but they need supplies. So, so we've, you've seen this, right, throughout the series of Exodus. We've talked a lot about the tabernacle that God was preparing to dwell among His people in this structure, this tent structure known as the tabernacle. And it would have the Ark of the Covenant in it and the most holy place separated by a curtain from the holy place. And a priest could only enter into that most holy place into, uh, into there once a year, right? To, to see and, and, and God's presence would be manifested there. So now it's finally time to build that. We read about the instructions for it before, but it hasn't actually been built yet at this point in Exodus. But they need supplies. They're going to need a lot of stuff to build this tabernacle, this house of God. Look at this, chapter 35. 
Verses 4 and 5, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. Skip down to verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments, the garments the priest would wear. But notice the generosity, the willingness to contribute. If you look in verses 22 through 28, we're not, we don't have time to read it, but men and women, guess what? They're all pitching in. They're all helping by contributing in some way, making supplies to help build the house of God. It's amazing, really. God's, God's people saw this need and this calling. They respond to this need, and everyone comes together in one purpose by giving very generously. Look at verse 29. All the men and women the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Look down in chapter 36, verses 2 through 7, continuing this, this explanation of the tabernacle being built. The people now are funding it. They're bringing supplies. They're realizing that God is going to live among us. He's going to live among us and work in us and, and through us, we're going to be that shining light to the world. Verse 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, listen to this, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the, for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Wow. Now, let me tell you, that is something you will never hear a pastor in today's world say. Like, y'all need to, y'all are giving too much, okay? Stop giving so much, right? You can stop. <laughs> but they had to stop. Moses had to say, enough. Wow. Look at the generosity of God's people. We have more than enough. Chapter 39, verse 42 and 43. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses... So the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Look at that. Look at how God used these people. And look at the change of heart. These are the same people that had brought their gold together to form an idol, a calf, just not that long before. And now here they are bringing these contributions, their gold and their supplies and their resources and their talents and their gifts and their skills all together to worship the Lord. Finally, look at the change of heart. 
God is coming to live among His people. And He's going to work through them for His glory. And it's changing the way they live their lives. After giving themselves to an idol, after being disciplined for worshiping that idol, they are now rallying together in worship, pulling their resources together to fund the building project. There's only one thing left to do. Chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. The Lord, said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So now it's time to actually build this tabernacle. They have the supplies. They have more than enough. And then look down at verse 34. This is the moment that really all of Exodus has been waiting for. This is it. Chapter 40, verse 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let me ask you something. Did these people deserve this? Did these people who rejected God just not that long ago and built this idol and fell down and rejected Him and worshipped it, do they deserve this? Do they deserve for God to be so kind, to be so gracious, to come down to them because He knows they can't come up to Him? This book of Exodus started with Israel in slavery, with no hope, no real identity, no future. And it ends with Israel belonging to God, living with God with the greatest hope and future ahead of them. Why could, the, why could the people of God, why could they be faithful? Why could they pull themselves, their resources together and, and fund this tabernacle, the building of it? Why, why could they look forward to cutting out the idols of the promised land so that they could be faithful to God? Was it because that they finally just mustered up enough strength? Was it, because, was it because they finally got all their ducks in a row? They finally got their finances together and so they could finally give? No, it was none of that. It was because in faith, they stepped out because of the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness to them was so powerful, so gracious, so merciful, so good and loving. They realized it. They grasped it. And they said, how can we not? How can we not give? How can we not serve? How can we not go into this future land and cut down those idols and take them out of our lives? God has been faithfulness to God has been faithful to us. So, yes, we can persevere in faith. He will not give up on us. We know he lives in us. We know he lives through us. You see, there's a couple of points I want to share with you that specifically from these texts we read today as we finish this great epic book of the Bible, there's a couple of sub-points I want to share with you in terms of how we know God lives in and through us. The, the first one is this. We are distinct. 
We are distinct from the, the rest of the world. Now, what do you think makes you distinct from the rest of the world? <laughs> right? All of us probably have this one, you know, we, we like to think that we're special, don't we? Like, oh yeah, I'm special. You know, I'm, I'm smarter than the average bear. You know, like I, I get more than five questions right on Jeopardy every night. You know, like we, like we always think there's something about us that makes us stand out, right? You know, I can slam dunk a basketball goal. Like that, none of these things are true about me, by the way. Uh, right? You, you could, there's something you can do, right? There's something you think you've got, some talent, some skill, some knowledge, some piece of something, some possession. There's something, right, that we think makes us distinct from everybody else. And I'm not trying to you know, rain on your parade, but we're all pretty ordinary, okay? <laughs> like we're all, we're all pretty normal. We're all pretty common, you know what I mean? Like we're really not that distinct in, in many ways. The whole world, we're all just kind of very similar, more than you think. But look at Exodus 33, verse 16. Moses is pleading with God, and what does he say? He makes a wonderful case. He says, how will people know? How will people know that we're your people if we're not distinct from the world? Isn't it your presence? It's your presence in us and through us that makes us distinct from the rest of the world. What makes the people of God distinct from the rest of the world more than anything else is that God lives in you. That's it. It's not your possessions. It's not your knowledge. It's not your past track record. What makes you distinct, child of God, from the rest of the world is that you have God. That he resides in you. But here's the thing. Under the new covenant of Jesus, this is better for us than it was Israel. Look at this. Matthew 28, verse 20. What did Jesus say after he gave the great commission? We've already talked a lot about today, right? We saw baptism, an example of the great commission. We've, we've given to support the great commission around the world through the Lottie Moon offering. And so after that commission, Jesus said this. He said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It gets even better. Not only Jesus, look what Jesus promised for those who follow him. Look at John 14. In John 14, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. This, this follower of Jesus is what makes you distinct and unique from the rest of the world. You know him for what? He dwells with you and will be in you. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Now, do you believe that? Do you really wake up every day and, and just grasp how amazing that is? That God himself lives in you, right? This is what makes us distinct from the rest of the world. Think about Moses' face, right? When Moses came down the mountain, his face is shining because what? Because he's met with God. There was a physical difference because he encountered the living God and was in his presence. It was apparent. But you know what? Shouldn't the same be true of us? I'm not talking about your face glowing. Though you all have pretty faces. That's great. 
I'm talking about metaphorically speaking. Shouldn't it be evident that we have met with God? Shouldn't it be evident that God lives in us? Is this not what makes us distinct from the rest of the world? In fact, in Acts chapter 4, the disciples Peter and John, they were arrested for preaching about Jesus, for standing up in courage and in faith. And while on trial before the Jewish council, look at what was said about them. My hope and my prayer is that this is what would be said about me. This is what would be said about you. Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John's lives were so dedicated to the work, so dedicated to Jesus, so distinct from the surrounding culture that it was obvious. It was apparent that these men knew the Lord Jesus. They followed Him with all their lives. They dedicated their lives to Him and His kingdom work. And it was obvious. It was apparent these men have been with Jesus. Is that what someone would say about you? If any random person off the street was given a film of your life, of your current life right now, and they just watched you walk around and live your life and do the things you do, would they be able to say at the conclusion, it's apparent that that person has been with Jesus? This is distinction. This distinction is what, is what separates us from the rest of the world, the presence of God in us. He will work through us as we seek the Lord in obedience. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. All right? Okay, so we're distinct because we have God's presence in us. Now, what is that? how does that work itself out? Right? What does that look like? Okay, well, here's what it looks like. Number two, we flee from sin and pursue obedience. That's what it looks like. We flee from sin and we pursue God's truth, His Word. We seek to obey Him and please Him. Right? Exodus 34, look at this again. Verse 12 and 13, what did God tell the people? Take care. In other words, watch out. Right? You don't need to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the promised land that I'm going to give you. This could be tempting for you. You need to tear down, right? God says you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down those wooden poles devoted to the goddess Asherah. Just take it all out. You don't need that in your life. Look at what length God told his people to go to to avoid sin to avoid idolatry and to keep it from taking control over their lives. Cut it out. You know, Jesus says something similar to us in Mark chapter 9, verses 43. Listen, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking about what length you may need to go to so that you can flee from sin and pursue obedience why? Because that will show the rest of the world that you know Jesus, that you have been with Him, that you are distinct, that you are persevering in faith. Here's what you might have to do. Look at this. Verse 43, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, okay? This is not literal. But what is he saying? His point is, do whatever it takes to flee from sin against your holy God and the idolatrous things around you that will grab a hold of your heart and pull you in like a magnet, cut them out if you need to. So to truly be distinct from the world, for people to truly be able to say about your life, and he's been with Jesus, she's been with Jesus, she knows the Lord, he loves God and follows Jesus. For them to be able to say that about you, what may you need to cut out of your life right now? What parameters do you need to put up? What safeguards, perhaps, do you need to put in your life? You know, in our world today, most of us have constant access to the Internet. And that can be a great thing, but you know what else? It can be a terrible thing. If you're tempted to look at inappropriate things online... Maybe you need to get an internet accountability software on your devices. Flee from sin and pursue obedience. If you're spending money, if you're spending money uh, frivolously and, and putting yourself in a greater and greater debt, and it's really getting out of control, and I mean, this is something to say the week before Christmas, right? But if you're truly putting yourself in great, greater and greater debt financially, and you're not being a good steward of what God's given you, Ask someone to help you. It's okay. You can be humble and just admit, like, I need, some, I need help with this. I need help. I need accountability. I need, I need sound financial advice and accountability to help me. I want to honor the Lord. Confess that to a friend who can help. If you're spending too much time on social media, maybe it's causing you to think about yourself in unhealthy ways, unhealthy patterns. It's causing you to think about other people in a very... Uh, judgmental, very quick to judge, right? Quick to speak, slow to listen. Opposite of what the Bible tells us to be, right? If social media is, is causing these unhealthy patterns in your life, guess what? You can delete Facebook. It's, I've done it. You can do it, all right? Or you could, like my grandma used to do, she didn't know how to log out of Facebook, so she just unplugged her computer. <laughs> it was it's a true story. So <laughs> whatever it takes, Right? Whatever it takes, you can cut it out. Maybe it's just for a season, right? You can, you can reinstall Facebook later. That's what I did. Right? You can reinstall it later. Whatever it takes, cut it out. If it's taking away your heart, it's fighting for your worship. It's changing the way you interact with others in ungodly patterns and unhealthy relationships. God is telling his people, cut it out. It's not worth it. The sin that gives us some kind of little high for a moment is not worth the devastation that it brings. 
The sin that, that makes us think that it's better than what God has for us, it's not worth it for the riches of the inheritance that God has in store for you, child of God, follower of Jesus. We know He lives in us. We know He lives through us. We're distinct from the world, but we have to flee from sin and pursue obedience. And thirdly and lastly, as we wrap up this amazing book of Exodus, do you see what the people are doing? What are they doing? They are realizing we're distinct. We're God's people. Man, let's flee from idolatry. Let's run to Him in obedience and let's show that through our generosity, through our courage, through our craftsmanship, through our skill, through our resources, through our willing heart to help the kingdom work. Look at this. They promote the kingdom. That's what we do. When we realize these things and how great God is and how good He's been to us, when we flee from sin and pursue obedience, like Moses' shining face, your life starts to slowly and distinctively promote the kingdom of God instead of promoting your kingdom. Exodus 35, verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. I love that. Why were their hearts moved? Again, are their hearts being moved because they finally got all their ducks in a row and they finally came up with a good life plan and they got all their New Year's resolutions ready to go? No, their heart moved them because God himself was moving into their neighborhood. God was coming to them. They saw his faithfulness. They saw his holiness and it prompted them. It propelled them to do what? To bring anything. To bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done. Brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. They brought so much, they had too much. That's amazing. That really is. But let me ask you, church, in today's world, do we, do we realize what we're a part of? Do we realize that we're a part of the kingdom of God? Listen, it is great and it's all good and it is all fine to be proud to be a citizen of our country or of our city, our county, our state, and all those different things that we have citizenship in. That's good. But the first citizenship that matters and should drive how we live our lives is that we belong to a greater kingdom this earth will never see. It's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ who is seated on his throne. And guess what? You belong. <laughs> you belong to that kingdom. Are we faithful representatives? Everything about our lives should promote the kingdom that we belong to. You notice the willingness of the people even the eagerness. You know, it's one thing to be willing to help out. It's another thing to be eager to help out, right? You may be willing, maybe a little reluctant, right? But when you're eager, when you're eager to, to give and support the kingdom of God, when you're eager to serve in the church, when these people, they were eager, right? They wanted to do this. They were ready. They said, yes, 
We believe in what God is doing and we're going to show that we believe. We're going to show that we have faith because we're going to serve. We're going to pull our resources together. We're going to be here. We're going to commit. Is this what defines us as a church? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is basically the New Testament version of what we just read in Exodus, right? After Jesus ascended to earth, the church was birthed. The church started believing the gospel and, and sharing the gospel. And look at what happened. This is, the, this is a description of the first church, all right? Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Who does that? That is such a foreign concept in our modern American world to sell our possessions and, and give the money not to ourselves to go on a better vacation, but to those who are poor and need it? This is exactly what they were doing in the first church. They were so amazed. All came upon every soul. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what happened? What is the result of God's people coming together, united around the gospel, around the goodness of a God who is faithful to us, around the distinction that God lives in them and through them? When the church understood that, when they grasped that, when they reached out and said, yes, Jesus, we want you, we want this, we want the kingdom. What did the Lord do? Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Holy Spirit of God was working in the hearts of His people. They were, he was living in them. He was living through them. They were making themselves available in faith and saying, yes, Lord, we will give all. We will promote your kingdom before any other earthly kingdom. We will live for you, Jesus. We love you and we want more of you, not less. We will cut down the idols of our hearts. We will surrender fully to your goodness and your grace. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Jesus was building his church. Jesus was slowly but surely building his kingdom. Can we be so grateful? Can we be so amazed at the presence of God living in us that we flee from sin and pursue obedience to God's Word and let Him live through us? That we promote the kingdom and reorient our lives, everything about our schedules, our priorities, our personal finances, our budget, our heart's greatest loves and devotions, our relationships, can we reorient it all? Really? Around the goodness of the kingdom of God. That was the purpose of Israel. 
to bring glory to God by having a special relationship with Him, worshiping Him, showing the rest of the world what He's like through devotion to Him. And now, church, guess what? It's our turn. It really is. It's our turn to do what God called them to do to fulfill that purpose in the world today. And the only way, the only way that is possible, the only way we can do this is through a descendant of these idolatrous, struggling people who was born in a small village outside of Jerusalem many, many years later. He would do what no one else could do. He would live, die, and raise from the grave to secure the building of His kingdom and establish His rule forever. Today we may be finishing the book of Exodus, but you know what? Next Sunday, next Sunday we will learn about another Exodus. A greater Exodus, actually. How a little Jewish baby named Jesus would come to rescue us all from the idols of our own hearts. But for now, Christian, listen. The presence of God filled the tabernacle on that day in Exodus. But do not leave here today without knowing and believing and realizing that that same presence of God is in you now. It sounds so epic as we read about it in Exodus. But do you know how even more epic it is that when you were saved, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He gave you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit God lives in you now? You see, you can be faithful to God in the way you live your life because He is faithful to you. You have been rescued and redeemed. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will use you for His glory. So flee from whatever hinders your devotion and your admiration of Jesus and run, run to Him. Pursue obedience to His Word. That's the key to joy. Your circumstances will change. Your emotions will flounder. There is a deeply rooted, constant river of flowing joy that this world cannot take from you if you realize that the presence of God is in you always. May we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, our true rescuer and redeemer. As we think about Christmas coming up this week, our lesson in our community group this morning was on the presence of God. We talked about how God's presence is everywhere, but how even more amazing it is that His presence is in us. I challenge you, as we're about to close with a song, I challenge you, to think about the presence of God when you think about Christmas, right? Just one week from today. We're going to be busy this week. You're going to spend time with people you love. But think about how that little baby grew up 
to live the life you could not live, to die the death you should have died, and rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin and death so you don't have to be enslaved to it. He is your rescuer. He is your redeemer. So I challenge you this week to dwell on that truth. Chew on that this week. Set aside some time, a quiet moment, as hard as it may be, Set aside some time to get into God's word and just thank him. Lord, thank you for your presence in my heart. Thank you for loving me. I was unlovable, but you loved me. I am sometimes unfaithful, but you're faithful always to me. Thank you, Jesus. Change the way I live. Change who I am. Spend some time before Christmas Day. Just acknowledge that to the Lord. Just thank him. Thank him for coming to rescue you to live inside of you. All of Exodus was really pointing to that manger and beyond that to the cross and to an empty tomb and to a heaven where we will all gather around the throne of Jesus forever in his presence.